Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the How Embarrassing Podcast, live from Hollywood. We have a very special guest for you tonight. Joining us all the way from London, England, is none other than special UK correspondent, Ollie McNaughty. Ollie, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Nicholas. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um... Uh, not that the listeners care to know this, but this is our this is the uh, the the show's first ever um, live over Zoom episode. So, um, desperately hoping that nothing goes hideously wrong and we have no technical difficulties. But I won't know that until this is done recording. So we're gonna have to do a redo already. I can tell it. Oh God! If we have to do a redo, we are not. So Ollie, I don't know. How's how's the cinema life over in in London? What's it like going to the cinema? It's good. As someone, I think if to give a little bit of background, me and Nick, well, I spent we spent a year together in Santa Barbara. Um, Nick's alma mater and my brief exchange program a uh, year. Um, it's pretty good. I feel like American audiences have like somehow impacted the UK audiences. Like ever since I came back from America, I hear a lot more clapping, which <laughs> I never thought I would. <laughs> But, I hate know, that so much. That's terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I like. I don't know why. They just just people start clapping like all the time. I mean, I get it for film festivals and stuff like that. But now, like even for like, like I went to go see like Once Upon a Time in the West, like a re-release of that, and like people start clapping, and I was like, everyone who's made this film like died like thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, it, it, so it's like not just for big stupid Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. It's just like any any movie now. Someone will just clap. I mean, no, no one clapped at the end of Master Gone, sadly, but that God might be. Damn it. It might be. They might be so confused, to be honest. <laughs> I have seen one film in the UK, and it was uh, over over Christmas when I was there with my family in like twenty. Must have been Christmas twenty seventeen. We saw Dunkirk because I had already seen it, and my parents hadn't yet. And it was Boxing Day or something, and there wasn't fuck all to do. No, I think, th- no, everything's open on Boxing Day, right? It must have been Christmas Eve or something when everything yeah, was yeah. closed. And we're like, well, we can go to the movies. I haven't seen Dunkirk yet. And I think we were like, there was the four of us and like two other people who were either like the last people in England to see Dunkirk or they were like just so into uh britain that they had seen it like 12 times and this was their their amazing repeat viewing of it did you catch any of the dunkirk spirits whilst you were over in the uk yes i was overcome with a sense of uh pride and defeat i started walking around town like saying the churchill monologue in my head you know I saw I saw like a piece of trash on the floor and I'm like we would fight in the beaches, we would fight in the air. <laughs> Just overcome with a sense of, of huge patriotism. Let's talk about the master gardener. Gardening is a belief in the future. A belief that things will happen according to plan. Who did this to you? What are you gonna do? Time to start a new life. created this life master gardener is paul schrader's latest film that's my intro 
I I really didn't have any anything witty to I, I just couldn't come up with anything witty to say about this one for like a, a banterous sort of intro just because it's a Paul Schrader movie and it's if if you know that going into it you know exactly how it's going to go down I'm sure if I really thought hard about it I could have memed something for this one but honestly I was just like it's a Paul Schrader movie I mean it's probably not not too wise for two white guys to be talking about a film about white supremacy but then. Then again, Paul Schrader is also a white guy, and he's talking about white supremacy. So, Does Paul Schrader have the right to make his own movie? Let's discuss in the comments below. God. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm... I, I mostly know Paul Schrader as the guy who wrote Taxi Driver for Martin Scorsese and also wrote Raging Bull for Martin Scorsese. He's one of the film brats, as it were, from the um early 70s along with you know coppola lucas spielberg de palma all them i'm a big fan of his recent films namely first reformed the card counter and now this one um i do think they form something of a thematic trilogy that we can talk about at the end of this episode but for now let's just get to talking about this one in specific i was I, I didn't even know this movie was coming out until like a month ago. Um, I I think I saw a poster for it at a lobby at a theater, and I was like, oh, what new Paul Schrader? Hell yeah. Um, so I was pretty excited to see it. Didn't see a trailer. Didn't Literally didn't know anything about the movie. I just went in totally blind. Um, and I have to say, I think overall, I did really enjoy the story. But I feel like his the production quality on his films recently has started to drag. What do you think, Holly? Yeah, so there was a recent interview with Paul Schrader, and he was talking about, I don't know if you know this, but your favorite president, Barack Obama, um, <laughs> yeah. put on, put on his uh, top 10 films of must have been 2021, I think. He put The Card Council as one of his favorite films of Are that year. Are you shitting me? He did put the car counts as one of his favorite films. Uh, that and- makes me upset, and we will talk about why later. We talk about the guard counter and first reformed, but that makes me upset. So please continue. <laughs> and uh, Paul Schrader basically said in a recent interview that he knows for a fact that Obama would not be putting Master Guard though as one of his favorite films of 2023. And I kind of get why. Um, I think like just first impressions. When I was watching this film, I didn't really. I wasn't really quite on board with it, but then it has kind of like stuck with me for the last couple of days. Um, strange film. I didn't really know what to make of it, but like at the same time, if it's stuck with me, it's obviously made some sort of impact. Yeah. So I guess a brief overview of the story. Um, if you haven't seen Paul Schrader movies before, he has this thing that I don't know if he's coined like an official term for it or if people have just kind of coined the term like the solitary man or like the lonesome man. I've heard that thrown around in different reviews. Um, a lot of his films, if you think Taxi Driver, have uh, a male protagonist who's sort of pushed to the edge of usually his own sanity, but also society in some way. Um, there's a lot of a man alone in a room writing in a journal, a lot of voiceover. So there's, there's definitely a through line between most of his, uh, more passionistic projects, I suppose. So this one is about, it starts off being, uh, a guy who's a gardener for what looks to be like a big old, uh, there's a word for this. I can't believe I'm forgetting it. It's just like a garden, right? Like it's just a big ass garden. I don't, is it's it garden. for, it's just a garden. I mean- like it, it's a, it's a nice garden. It's a nice looking garden, I have to say. 
yeah, they, they never really um, get to what the garden was for. I guess it's just a public garden. I'm so American. The concept of having like a public garden for the the um, just the benefit of the people is as a foreign concept to me. So the whole time I'm like, who owns this garden? Where's the garden? How are they funding the garden? Who's going to pay for the garden? Anyways, there's a garden. Um, what's his face? Joel Edgerton plays the gardener name's narvel i'm pretty sure which his is, name I is narvel which is like the weirdest name ever but they bring it up and that becomes a thing um he's a gardener at this big garden for sigourney weaver's character um he's very into his work he's very meticulous with it one of the lines he says early in the movies is that like gardening is a belief in the future and a belief that everything will turn out as it is planned and i think that kind of sets up the tone for the film and where things are going um i i mean it's we can't talk about this movie without mentioning this because it's obviously the driving force of the plot but i really appreciated not knowing it going in so i guess if you're gonna see this movie probably don't listen to this um but it is revealed maybe 15 20 minutes into the movie that he is a former nazi there's a scene where he's lying awake in bed struggling to sleep he gets up he looks at himself in a mirror and you see all the swastika ss death's head tattoos everywhere and you're like oh my god um we learn basically that he has taken up well he's in witness protection and he's basically been assigned to this garden as a horticulturist to sort of rehabilitate his life and he's looking for order looking to move on do you want to talk about the girl this girl suddenly comes in and she's meant to be Sigourney Weaver's grand niece, I believe. Yeah. And uh, she is into, she's mixed race. Uh, yes. Has a very tense relationship with Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver kind of like doesn't really want to see her even when she like moves in for the first time. Um, she kind of comes in as the apprentice for Joel Edgerton's character. And then... Basically, things kind of unravel. They sort of form a little bit of a connection, but then obviously, as Joe Edgerton's character is a proud boy, they start having there's kind of some sexual tension between them. But at one point, she he, they start having a little smooch, and then she starts taking off his shirt, and then he he, he puts it down like immediately because he he's obviously got lots of Nazi SWAT stickers tattoos on it, so it's kind of an interesting kind of dynamic between them um and then they kind of more kind of gets revealed about them over the time she's like a kind of she's is a drug addict um as well yeah so they're both basically uh taken under the wing of sigourney weaver's character um to rehabilitate their life in some way him as a former nazi her as a drug addict um but then because uh joel edgerton and sigourney weaver seem to be having some kind of a little thing on the side and when he sees him or she sees him getting on almost with uh the new girl she gets really jealous of that and kicks him off the property um so the second half of the movie kind of takes place off the garden site yeah so quintessa swindle plays the young girl and the second half of the film involves her and 
Joel Edgerton living out of um, motels, basically, as they sort of try and figure out their life. And it's it's oddly, I think we'll just leave it at that with the plot. We don't have to get that too much into the the ending so much because um, the ending really doesn't make sense to talk about unless you've seen the film and like the gone through what the characters go through and all that. If I tell you how it ends right now, you're just gonna be like, one, that sounds boring as hell. Um, but interestingly, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to say it's even got kind of an interesting, um, the kind of relationship with the endings of first reformed and card council as well. Yeah, because those two films are well. First Reformed is a very strange and bleak ending. Um, Card Counter has a very, I would say, interesting ending, and this one felt very resolved compared to the other two films. Like it felt like it had an actual ending. Like the first yeah. time I watched First Reformed when it ended, I just went, "Wait, what?" And then during <laughs> Card Counter, I went, "Huh?" And this one, I went, "Oh, I get it." So yeah. his his movies have gone have are progressively making more sense. And I don't know if I like that. Yeah, there's definitely not as much ambiguity. I mean, he's like kind of on the record talking about like the fact that he he wants to make a film kind of about love, but I guess love in kind of like the most weirdest of circumstances, I guess. Um, I guess kind of, I mean, like he he's always talked about in like interviews that he, that he uses kind of his scripts as a form of self-therapy, like for example, with Taxi Driver, he talked about how he basically wrote it, not because he like, wants to sell a screenplay, but basically because he was worried that he was going to become that guy, effectively. Um, oh, God, what? <laughs> yeah, literally, that's what he said. He had, like, apparently, like, stomach ulcers. Was, he was suffering from, like, that, and he was, like, just going, like, completely insane. And then he literally just wrote Taxi Driver as a way of, like, dealing with the fact that he was, like, literally about... He was literally, like, about a ticking time bomb, effectively. So I think Jesus. kind of... I kind of took from this that, like, um, I believe he is married, actually. Um, but I guess he's kind of talking about the fact that someone like him, who I guess has the kind of probably, I mean, Paul Schrader definitely has, like, the darkest thoughts and imaginations imaginable. And that ultimately you can kind of come out of that through love was what I personally took from it. So you think he's um, projecting himself into the story to a degree? I do, yeah, I said I don't think Paul Schrader is a proud boy or a Nazi, but I guess just someone who has right. had kind of struggles with uh, kind of dark thoughts or darkness within him. And I think he's said that he's kind of you can ultimately overcome that through kind of love or some kind of kind of, or some kind of emotional connection. That's interesting because yeah, that's that's I guess that's what this movie comes down to. It is the most hopeful of this uh, sort of informal trilogy. It does have. Um, this recurring theme of forgiveness, I would say, or perhaps redemption. Mm. Um, we'll get into that later with the, how it ties in with the other films. But um, yeah, something, I, I guess I, I really did like the story of this film. I thought it was, it was very interesting and provocative. And I, I was kind of a little, I don't want to say bored, but I wasn't sure where it was going before the reveal. I was mm. like, okay, so there's a gardener, so what? Because um, his other films, I think they they get to it somewhat quickly. With this one, I felt like it took a little bit too long to get to the Nazi reveal. I was sitting there just kind of like, okay, so he's a gardener, but like I'm waiting for that reveal of, okay, so this guy's he's killed someone, right? Or he's done something bad. What's it going to be? Then when it happened, I went, oh, oh my God, he's got a 
big swastika on his back. I did not see that coming, but I'm glad we got here because now I'm much more interested in what's going on. I think I, sadly, I think I read a bit too much about it. So I think the Nazi reveal wasn't quite as like effective for me. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, I did. I did. I knew that. I think I did read somewhere that um, he was. I think he's meant to be a proud boy in this, I think, as well. I think specifically, if I'm not Specifically mistaken, a proud boy. I think he's specifically, yeah, he's specifically a proud boy. Um, Interesting. I don't think that's mentioned in the film. I mean, there's a, I think there's a line where someone calls him a proud boy, but I thought he did that sort of like derogatorily, like pejoratively. I, di- I didn't pick that up as a, he's literally a proud boy. I mean, I guess yeah. it doesn't really matter, but. Yeah, I mean, it's good in some ways, because I think it kind of like, I mean, maybe it doesn't go to quite into detail because there's those like kind of extreme mention of like Trump, which he could have gone there definitely, but actually kind of separating from that makes it, I know, much more effective. I guess like the problem I have with this film is like, I don't know, maybe because it is such a weird, like weird relationship anyway, but I kind of just didn't really buy it that much. Like I didn't really think Joe Edgerton and um, Swindle really had that much chemistry together. Like I, I always didn't really get the sense why they would like, why did she really went for him? Um, I I I have two thoughts on that. I think one, I, I agree a little bit because I think there's we we understand the backstory of Joel Edgerton Narvel, which I he is like his fake name. He had a he had a, a real name when he was a Nazi, but in witness protection, he's Narvel Roth, which I think is really interesting. That because Roth is you know a Jewish last name usually, so he's taken up a. A, a Jew. I don't know if he's taken, he's chosen it, or if he was assigned, you know, Roth as a last name. But that kind of contributes to his uh, healing and recovery process, I suppose. Oh, so we we know his backstory as a as a Nazi, as a proud boy, um, but we don't really under we don't really understand that much about what made him like stop and become. You get into this rehab program, I guess. Like it's there's like a few flashbacks, and we see that the cops, I guess they arrested him and like took his kid. But I guess we're just supposed to infer from that that oh he stopped being a Nazi because he got arrested. But I I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I if I buy that so much. Like if this guy who's like a serious Nazi who's got all these swastika tattoos, he gets arrested. And he's like damn. I can't be a Nazi anymore. And then like, I don't know how many years, eight years or something later, he's uh, in a relationship with like a mixed race girl. It seems like, I mean, I want to believe that it takes, it doesn't take that long to, to rehabilitate someone to denazify them. But I do think I agree. There's a little bit of a disbelief with that. My, my second thing is that I think, I don't think the performances are always spot on in this film. There was a few key moments of fantastic acting, I thought. And then there was a couple, more than a couple admittedly scenes where I was like, ooh, was this, like that was the best take? That was the best reading of the line? It felt like they did it in one take. And I think there were moments where their acting together was a little disjointed and that definitely damaged my belief of their relationship. Yeah, I think as well, because like, Ethan Hawke and like Amanda Seyfried in First Reform had like such an interesting dynamic. And I think actually Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish as well had like a very sort of interesting relationship. I just, I mean, I don't want to be like too harsh, but like, I I feel like they're not as strong actors and it's so hard to like, kind of like, I mean, Joe Edgerton is an actor who doesn't do that much for me anyway. I mean, I think he's 
this probably is the best performance he's ever given, but I don't know. I just didn't really, I think as well, like when you're comparing like him to Ethan Hawke in first reform, which is like literally like one of the best performances I think of the last like few years. Um, I think it can be quite hard. I know as well, this is really one of the, we're going to go to the backstory about this film. I do know he said that he thought this film was going to be really controversial. I could be wrong about this interview, but he was basically saying that he, in order to like subdue some of the controversy to towards the film and like the kind of themes around it, he said he was nearly going to cast Kevin Spacey in that role. And then the producers were like, no, <laughs> why would you, why would you do that? Bruh, like he, like Schrader wanted Kevin Spacey in the role. Schrader wanted Kevin Spacey. Obviously after everything came out because this movie just came out this year. So yeah. And they literally, they must have filmed it like pretty much like last year or something. So yeah, I think yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I think this is, uh, it's not quite, it's not quite up there. I think, as I said, I have like thought about it and I think definitely within the context of first reformed in the car counter, it's, a good film it's it's a good film and an interesting one but like definitely the weakest of the trilogy yeah i think this one was more in line with how i felt about the card counter than it was about first reformed and my feelings with the card counter and master gardener were that i thought the script was very good and the story was a pretty good overall but i just i i really couldn't get past some of the dare I say unprofessionality in the in the production quality like first reform came out in 2017 it was released by a24 I think it had a budget of three and a half million and it looks and feels like a movie I mean it looks and feels like a low budget movie but it looks and feels like an actual movie I remember when I saw the card counter in theaters I was kind of like wow this looks kind of shitty like the lighting was just it felt very poorly done the direction wasn't always top notch and i know they made it during covid so i kind of thought that was the excuse i there's there's a part where um an extra in one of the scenes she hands something to oscar isaac's character and you can see her wristband like her covid check wristband on her arm like (laughs) it sticks out from the sleeve and i was like wait is that girl wearing like her covid check wristband that she got for the day of shooting that's kind of bad and so i mostly chalked up that movie's uh production faults to like oh it's covid he probably didn't have that much money to work with or there were shutdowns who knows but to see this movie follow in that vein of being kind of like wait this looks a little cheap now i'm sort of I guess concerned. I don't really know why um, this is happening with his films. I mean, do you agree? Do you think the production looks like it's gone down C- comparatively since, let's say, since first reformed? I I actually never really found that. I um I do not remember that that part in the card counter. I have to be honest. Uh, I will, if I will rewatch it and have a look for it. Um, just look at everybody's wrist. The entire movie. Just be staring at everyone's wrist and just wait till you see that wristband. I don't know. I I, I said I just. Uh, I I never really felt that overall with this film. I think it's like maybe just because the fact that it is quite an intimate film. I mean, like most of the film is set either in in on the estate itself or in a car. So I just never I never really got that for the most part. I guess I mean maybe compared to First Reformed, it's not quite as visually appealing. I mean, First Reformed's got such a like a unique look to it. But I actually overall I it never really stuck out to me. I guess I was more kind of like as you were kind of saying some of the performances i was a little bit like sigourney weaver was like probably camping up as well i forgot to mention that 
Yeah, she was um, distractingly bad in a few scenes. Like, I, I was sitting there going, what? Like, Sigourney Weaver is a, a good actress. And I was honestly shocked. That's, that's, that's what I mean, where it felt like some of these were done in the first take. It was like, did you really not have the facilities to 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 do more takes for this? Or is it that Schrader's just not as attentive with his directing? I'm not sure. And um, just to put it out there, this movie did have... A $1.2 million larger budget than First Reform, and I feel like it looks like it was made for about half as much. But that's just my feelings on it. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess, like, I guess maybe now Paul's older. He's just like, maybe he just wants to see one take and just like go home and like have a, have a nap. But um, I think, I think overall, he, um, I, I said, I didn't, I didn't really get that. I said some of the, the performances, I can kind of see like where you're coming from. I mean, like I did actually have kind of fun with Sigourney Weaver, even when she was like properly camping it up. You, and, like, you didn't, you didn't think any of the sets just weren't that visually appealing. Like when they go into the tool shed for the, at the horticulture garden, they, there's like, there's like five shovels on the wall and that's the set. I'm like, wait, really? Like this is what the production design came up with. This is like the best. You want me to, to think this is like a, the toolkit for like a educational program on becoming like master gardeners. That's the title of the movie. And they've got three shovels, a pick and a hoe. Again, like maybe, maybe if I rewatched that, I would like pick up more, more on it. But I mean, no, I didn't really, I didn't really get that like at all for the most part. I, I know, like, he's kind of very inspired by, like, all those, like, French New Wave kind of guys, actually, who basically worked with no production values. So in some ways, maybe he's, I don't want to say being inspired by it, but kind of working kind of a similar work ethic to those, to those directors, like Godard, Bresson, or one of these people. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm someone who firmly believes that the story is the most important part and that a good movie with a good script and a good story will overcome any production issues. I would rather see a movie... I think that's why I, I I know some people who really didn't like The Card Counter, and I think the reason why I like The Card Counter and I like this one is because even though... I'm willing to look overlook the the production quality is what I'm saying. I think the stories are strong enough so that that's the important thing that really matters to me. I just it was a bit distracting. It wasn't. It didn't break the movie for me. It didn't make me go, oh, I can't watch this movie. This sucks. I can't take it seriously. The performances are a little stiff sometimes. Like it didn't. It didn't break the movie for me, but it did seem like it. I just think it could have been better for someone of Schrader's uh, prestige. What did you, I mean, this is kind of going a bit off topic. What do you think of the flower scene, like when they're like driving and it's like. Um, so the scene all he's talking about is there is a scene where um, after uh, Narvel and God, what's her, what's the character's name? The girl's character's name. Maya. Yeah, the scene all he's talking about is after Narvel and Maya, I think they just had sex for the first time. It's just after yeah. that. Um there there's a sort of a surreal dreamlike sequence where they're driving in a car down the street and they stick their heads out the window and like all these flowers start blooming like crazy and the road turns into grass and the tree canopies become intertwined and i thought it was a little funny uh i it wasn't supposed to be but i i thought it was a little bit funny just because it reminded me of midsummer when they're all high on the shrooms and everything's yeah. a little wobbly, like the flowers are really accentuated. For some reason, I thought of that. I mean, I guess I I understood what it meant 
thematically, right? Like they've, they've turned over a new leaf. They're new people. They're starting this life um, together that's in a forward direction away from where they've come. But there was something a little bit jarring about doing something so surreal and dreamlike in the middle of like an otherwise rather serious film. Yeah, there's, it is just hilarious just seeing like them, Joe Edgerton and uh, uh, Quintessa Swindles um, uh, just like laughing maniacally, basically. I, I don't know. I, it was like, I think it was sort of meant to have kind of like this kind of nice, romantic, euphoric kind of like feeling they were sort of meant to be having, but it just kind of came across like a little bit comical. I think he was trying to make the same scene that he did in First Reform when like him and like Amanda Seyfried are like floating, Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried are like floating in the air. Um, yeah, so First Reformed has this dream sequence where Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried are like lying on top of each other, like nose to nose, and the room that they're in goes away and becomes a star field, and then they're floating above like beautiful shots of nature, icebergs, rivers, streams, valleys, and then it all turns to industrial wasteland, and the music gets really dark, and it's gross, and... um I think that scene looked really good, actually. And then the card counter has a similar scene where more flower related. Remember when um, Oscar Isaac's character and Tiffany Haddish's character, they go for a walk in like the light up garden place in like Atlanta or wherever it is. And they're walking around and there's this terrible song playing. Uh, remind me, we'll get to that in a sec. But um, th- yeah, so his, his, that one wasn't very, that wasn't like a dream sequence though. It was just like, they're literally on a walk through this big garden and there's like a drone. It's like drone footage flying around this big lit up garden and it's supposed to be super romantic, but it comes off as a little bit weird. Um, and I think this one looked better visually than the card counter scene, but I don't think either of them have like thematically um, really like gelled with the rest of the movie. Like in first reformed when that dream sequence happens, it looks good. And I'm like, okay, I understand why this is happening, but with card counter and this one, it feels almost like the movie, it doesn't flow. It's like the movie just kind of grinds to a halt and has this sequence. And I'm like, what, why is this here? It was like, he pulls straight to like, it was like he has to have the need to have that sequence like over and over again in this this trilogy of films. But, but why? Why do you think? I mean, he just effectively kind of. I mean, I I love I love him, but he just just kind of effectively remake the same film over and over again. I mean, they are basically. I mean, I know he's always cited the um, the Bresson film Pickpocket as like a huge influence on that, although that doesn't necessarily have that scene. Um, I don't know. I guess he's trying to like. He kind of advances it through because I guess like First Reformed is by far the least optimistic and Master Garner is the most optimistic. So I guess he's, and Car Counter, to be fair, kind of fits in between both in that sequence, but also just the entire tone of the film and especially in their endings. So I guess, I don't know, I just think he probably feels he has to have that scene in his structure for overall kind of thematic purposes within his career. So that's a good jumping off point for Schrader as a artist and what he wants to accomplish with his films. So let's talk a little bit about Paul Schrader. You know more about his background, I think, than I do. Yeah, he's a a very interesting guy. Um, He's born in the Midwest somewhere, um, was raised in a very strict like Dutch Calvinist like family. Um, And as a result, he didn't get to see a film till he was 18 years older. Um, and then 
I'm not quite sure like exactly where he started to get properly into films, but I know he was like at one point, I think he got recommended to like UCLA, like by Pauline Kale, who was the famous New Yorker film critic under her recommendation. And then he worked as a film critic for a bit. And then I think as we explained a bit early in the podcast, he basically just went fully insane um, and wrote Taxi Driver as like a way of, basically as a way of therapy effectively. Was that was that his first uh, produced script? I don't think it was his, it was his first one. I think he wrote something, he wrote something about the Yakuza beforehand that did get produced, but I've never seen it. Um, but like, I think he, as I kind of mentioned, he used all his scripts as kind of, therapy effectively i mean he even said this was like master garner first reform car counter all kind of like ways of like yeah effectively therapy for him he basically just says like i don't even really like like i I, I need to write these scripts not because like i want to necessarily make money but because i have to um which is kind of interesting in its own way um the film we makes made before first reform is this film called doggy dog which is like fucking terrible like like a genuinely awful film yeah, just before this sort of informal trilogy, as we're calling it, he did Dog Eat Dog and Dying of the Light, both two like Nicolas Cage action movies. Um, I haven't seen them, but just looking at the IMDb, they look like Redbox movies. They basically are. I mean, Dog Eat Dog, I think, maybe I wasn't as bothered by the card counter and um, Master Garner's production values, because Dog Eat Dog like, literally looks like it was like filmed in like... like oh, really? <laughs> yeah, literally. It's like, I think like, they obviously spend all the money on hiring Nicolas Cage and William Defoe to like be in those films. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I said very early on, I'm mostly familiar with him as a taxi driver and raging bulls writer. Um, and then his recent stuff, I, I basically haven't seen anything from him in that 40 year period in between. Um, but what he also is known for is he, before he started as a writer and a director, he was uh, a critic and like a film, very studious film guy. And so he read, he wrote the book, um, a transcendental style in film. And I haven't read it. I'd like to, um, but I do have a brief, uh, a little, a little description from the wonderful website, talkfilmsociety.com, which sums up the transcendental style. And I'm just going to read it because I think it, it'll, it'll help contextualize what Schrader is trying to do. So it says transcendental style, as Schrader states, discusses a quote, a common film style used by various filmmakers in divergent cultures to express the transcendent. It is a constant striving towards the ineffable and invisible end quote, in spite of the art itself never reaching such a status schrader's mystery in his writing and directorial efforts is determined to sort through this unknown while never expecting to solve what is unsolvable transcendental style in film then is a book that sorts through the successes and personal traits of the exemplified films which acutely capture the yearning for transcendental feeling their differences are less important than their similarities, however, and Trader soon digs into a universal, overpowering ability for these films to rise above their own intentional trappings of a cold, unfeeling world by simply introducing an irrational and undefined passion into a heartless existence. The ultimate catharsis of the work doesn't come from the action, but, as Schrader labels it, the stasis. 
The previous two are known as Everyday and Disparity, which is a reconfiguration of the film's hard, normalized style, only influenced by what has occurred. What do we think of the transcendental style as it relates to Paul Schrader? Is it getting old? Is it still interesting? I saw a, a few reviews from Master Gardener saying that they think Schrader's shtick is up and he needs to he needs to do something else. I mean, I think he's he's basically done with this. I mean, I, I got the sense this was like, I mean, for better or for worse, that a kind of ending of Master Gardener is like him kind of fully kind of saying goodbye to that kind of style. Like, I guess like with first reforming the card counter, first reforming especially being so kind of nihilistic and so pessimistic. Um, I think the fact that he has kind of a hopeful ending with Master Gardener is just him is him kind of closing the book on it. I don't know what he's going to do next. I, I think I did read somewhere he's going to do sort of a more semi-autobiographical film, I think, um, rather than dealing with, like, the kind of particular... I mean, obviously, First Reform kind of deals with religion, which he's obviously familiar with, but, like, the car counter, Master Gardner, I guess, like, kind of are much more steps away of who he is as a person. Well, not who he is as a person, but kind of occupations he has. Yeah, I in reading this bit about transcendental style, I I really see how that applies to um, first reformed, but I I don't see how it applies as much to card counter and master gardener. I feel like those two are a little bit more literal. Um, first reformed deals with God and religion explicitly and so i think that lends itself to a story that is more about the um existential issues of the as this says the cold unfeeling world the irrational and the undefined i think it's harder to sort of bring those stylistic elements into a movie that is at the end of the day about a a nazi gardener who is uh, trying to not be a nazi anymore and a a drug deal dealing girl who doesn't want to be a drug addict anymore yeah no um yeah I, I kind of agree i guess i'm sort of in some ways it's kind of a weird thing because i always enjoy seeing that character that, that he always kind of puts in his films um but at the same time like i love this kind of travis bickle taxi driver kind of character and it's always interesting for him to kind of put that character in different situations and scenarios but like i mean it's one of the things about paul trader's films is that his films, especially this trilogy, is particularly always start off with uh, always start off with a guy writing a journal, which is kind of like the kind of how he kind of structures his films through kind of the voiceover through the journal. Um, and I think I think he needs to put that journal to rest. I think. So you're you're more over the not the um, style in the sort of filmic sense you're over the literal plot repetition of the alone guy with the journal and the voiceover narration. I think so. I think it's now he's, he's passed it. I want him to do something like completely different. He should direct a Marvel film in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine that? Which Marvel character do you think would uh, fit best into the solitary man? Um, I go with Ant-Man. Can you imagine Paul Rudd sitting down at like a desk, like writing a journal, like I keep these notes to keep myself sane because I, can, I, I, I shrink down to the size of an ant and back up to a human every day. I could see him doing rocket raccoon as well. Like it'd be quite, it'd be quite funny to see like a little raccoon, like sitting on the chair and he's like, like discussing, like having talking about all his like nihilistic thoughts and how he's about to play. Can you imagine like rocket raccoon, like the end of first reform when he's got like the, the barbed wire around him? 
so we've we've talked a lot tangentially about um first reformed and card counter i think we should i think we should just get into it like what those movies are really about and and that'll give us a bitter a, a bigger picture for how these three relate um so i kind of mentioned already the the setup for first reformed earlier you've got a uh pastor at a church who is confronted by questions of his own faith um, from a churchgoer who is concerned about bringing a child into this world given the environmental destruction. Um, But he himself also has uh, a destroyed marriage and alcohol abuse problems because of uh, his son dying in Iraq and he was the one who convinced him to enlist and go to Iraq because he was Uh, I guess, super patriotic back in the day. Um, So there's a lot of guilt, a lot of grief, a lot of self-torture in a very, like, classically religious sense, I would say. Just that, like, beating up of the self. Um, Card Counter also deals with uh, a veteran. A lot of his movies, now that I'm talking about it, deal with veterans. I mean, Travis Bickle's a Vietnam veteran, wasn't he? He is a a Vietnam veteran, although I think kind of ambiguously in some ways i think like the like there's definitely a sense where that he could be lying about it but oh you think so that's interesting yeah there's i mean i know i personally think he probably is a vietnam veteran but there is like i do know there are takes where some people believe he actually just is just a crazy guy see i i think it works better to believe that he actually is a vietnam veteran because i think that there i just think there's too much in schrader's work that um critique u.s militarism for it to like not be have been a literal meaning in taxi driver you know like if we take taxi driver meaning uh, literally you could call it an anti-vietnam you could call it like a vietnam war film in a sense that it's about this guy who comes back from the war uh is disrespected by society is totally mentally fucked up from it doesn't know how to reintegrate and ends up taking out the violence that he learned to inflict while in the military on other people um, then with First Reformed, you have this guy who um, the pastor was a veteran himself, and then he influenced his son to become a veteran. His veter- his son dies in Iraq. He lives with that guilt, and then he contemplates taking his own life at the end. So in that film, you kind of take that violence, the militaristic violence out on the self through religion rather than out on other people like the end of Taxi Driver. Card counter, Oscar Isaac's character was a torturer at Abu Ghraib, does a decade in prison, gets out, and then just becomes a, a basically a professional like low stakes gambler before he gets wrapped up in a conspiracy basically to go and murder his old um, prison warden. And with this one, I guess their Master Gardener doesn't have that direct theme. I don't think there's there's any like uh, direct sort of references to the military or to the army in this one. Did you catch any? Am I missing something? I mean, I didn't I didn't get that sense, but I guess you could argue in some ways with kind of neo Nazis and there is kind of a militaristic kind of feeling towards that kind of towards. I mean, like if you think about like neo Nazis or Proud Boys, they're obviously all kind of very pro military, kind of basically kind of failed soldiers in some ways. So a, a, a lot of them are veterans. I know some of them are veterans as well, obviously. Um, but like, I guess like that's kind of how he kind of incorporates it in some aspects too. And I guess we've kind of associated with the military with kind of far right tendencies as well, or at least certain aspects of the military. Definitely. Um, the card counter is pretty interesting because you, 
I mean, the the main character is uh, he he lives out of hotels basically and he like wraps the sheets from the hotels like around all of the furniture and makes it all blank and white and like he takes off the um takes off the the paintings on the wall like he makes his room into a big giant like white blank mess like he's trying to recreate the prison that he was in just the starkness the lack of character like that is how he kind of achieves his own sort of peace is by repetitively just gambling going back to the hotel where there's like no distraction nothing and then like waking up going to a new hotel doing the same thing like that's that's his coping mechanism more or less um and then master gardener's character has the same sort of coping mechanism except it's through um gardening so he sees horticulture as a as he says in the very beginning you know a belief in that everything is going to turn out right because you're going to plant this seed and it's going to become a flower and you're going to water it and it's going to grow big and nothing will go wrong and you you firmly believe in that process no definitely um i guess like the kind of interesting one that kind of sets this one apart from this one is first reform and car counter kind of end with really extreme acts of violence where it's like first reformed ethan hall kind of does it to himself through basically barbed wiring himself and like squeezing it together. And then Carl Counts of Oscar Isaac really brutally murdering William Defoe, his kind of um his sort of mentor. This one, there's not really that kind of like incredibly violent element to it. He kind of just goes in and kind of like he just sort of he, he crashes a few kneecaps, you know, does that kind of thing. But Yeah, he whacks two two drug dealers in the knee with a hammer. Kneecaps. That's basically like, it. <laughs> Well, like definitely compared to his other two films, it's not quite as violent, I guess, because he wants to kind of have this much more weirdly hopeful message at the end. Yeah, I mean, Taxi Driver ends with the famous guy going on like an incel rampage and shooting up a, a brothel. And um, I guess it's not really a brothel because they're, they're, it's all illegal, right? Um, he goes and shoots up a bunch of people. He's, he's bringing that violence from the Vietnam War back to america um first reformed he brings the violence onto himself and he sort of it's like his own penance for his his son's death he feels responsible for it and he feels guilty as a as a person on this earth for not being able to like prevent environmental catastrophe or whatever and he starts twisting like bible quotes and things in the book to uh fit his own sort of like self-harm fantasy which ultimately plays out in the very end of the movie when he wraps barbed wire around himself and he straps on a suicide vest um card counter as we said he uh he goes on this revenge quest to kill his former warden and then ends up back in prison as if like that's the only life he knows he can't he can't escape from a prison metaphorically and literally whereas this one yeah they they stop being drug dealers and neo-nazis and live happily ever after i guess that's kind of how this one ends i was waiting for the crazy like schraderism but then it was it was oddly hopeful as you said yeah and i guess he kind of persuades sigourney weaver who even though she still is angry about the fact that he's gone together with this girl um he still kind of gets to live the life that he wants which is sort of strange um yeah it's um and it kind of ends with just them dancing which is like weirdly weirdly kind of sweet for a Paul Schrader film to end on yeah I I I tried to write down like one word themes for these films and for I have forgiveness revenge and redemption 
I have forgiveness for as a theme for first reformer because it, it basically asks, I mean, literally the question is asked in the film, will God forgive us for what we've done? And the whole movie is about exactly that. You, no way to twist it up. Card counter is more about revenge. You have a guy who, um, has these past demons who wants to literally like exercise them in the form of violence on his, his former commanding officer. And this one is all about redemption. It's all about people who have like the other two films, they have their people with dark pasts who have done bad things, but rather than inflict violence either on themselves or on other people, they just, they, they move on from it. And I was like, this is so strange. Yeah. Um, but again, kind of like a weirdly nice conclusion that I guess these people can find love and redemption even when they have committed kind of horrible things in the past. Yeah, I mean, that's something that like I agree with on a personal level, but I'm surprised that Paul Schrader believes that. I guess he's getting soft in his old age. He he must be because I I wouldn't I would have picked him as like the last person to be like oh yeah I'm gonna write a story about a guy who's a Nazi but he um, he becomes rehabilitated and a good member of society like that's just not what you expect for if you told me that's what this movie was about going into it I would have said fuck you Paul Schrader didn't make this movie it's hilarious that like he's basically like yeah a priest who can find forgiveness but ultimately is at the end. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of think at the end of First Reformed, he probably does kill himself, basically. Um, oh, right, because it's kind of open-ended as, as to whether he does or if he's sort of saved at the last minute. There's a very dreamlike sequence at the end. Yeah, well, I guess he kind of finds his own, in First Reformed, he kind of finds his own personal heaven through Amanda Seyfried. But, I mean, whether she actually does embrace him in that way is, is definitely reality versus kind of fiction, I guess, kind of plays into that. Um but yeah, I guess it's, it's surprising that like a neo-Nazi would find that kind of forgiveness, or he, that he thinks that a neo-Nazi of all people would over a priest would be would be the one that would um, yeah that would find forgiveness. The character of Narvel Roth in Master Gardener is decidedly the most sane of any of his protagonists in these last three films, and if we stretch it back to Taxi Driver two, um, because. Uh, Reverend Toller in first form. I mean, he he completely loses it. He completely loses it. He has no faith in God anymore. He has no faith in humanity. He has no faith in himself. He, he he's someone who completely collapses mentally. Um uh William Tell in Card Counter, he also loses it too. He doesn't want to go on this revenge quest either, but he succumbs to it because he can't escape these horrifying nightmares and the guilt of what he's done. He succumbs to the violence. This one um, he never, you never feel like he's a guy who's about to snap. Like he's gonna, he's, you never feel like he's gonna lose it, right? No, never. He's kind of like, um, he's kind of the blankest slate out of all the characters. I mean, I guess he kids running away from his past, but he finds kind of redemption through the act of gardening and through love, which is again quite interesting. I think, like, overall, this is probably my like least favorite of the trilogy i think if you've never seen a paul schrader film um this is not the one to like start with i think definitely go for taxi driver or first reform or even light sleeper to be honest light sleeper's very much like fits into that the same kind of mold of these these films this is like a weird one i 
I've thought about it and I think I would like to revisit it at some point. Um, but I'm definitely mixed on the film. I think the characters on and and as you said, like some of the performances aren't quite as up to scratch as a lot of portrayed as other films, but ultimately I love the man and I hope he he keeps making weird, weird personal films. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all of that. I I did like the film overall, despite some of its uh, faults, but it is definitely the weakest of this trilogy. I think they've gotten a little bit weaker as they've gone. Like for me, First Reformed is his masterpiece. It's one of my top films of all time. I'd give that a five out of five. Card Counter, probably a four out of five. I think it's quite good. And this one probably a three a two and a half you know they just keep they just are getting a little bit less like he really really peaked with first reform and like as you said he's kind of been making the same movie over and over again it's almost like it, it was perfect with first reform just you should have just left it with that one you didn't need to make two more movies after it with this the same sort of setup let's take a look at some of his online uh facebook posts these are amazing <laughs> Ollie, do you have a favorite Paul Schrader Facebook post? Um, I do like the one where he's talking about Taylor Swift and he's like got a, uh, I think he's got like a beer in hand basically and he's just watching the concert. And I think he said something like Taylor Swift like gives us like meaning and like love and love. Oh my basically. God. <laughs> really? I haven't seen that one. This, this is like an old one. This is like definitely from like a couple of years ago, but um, it's so funny. Yeah. So um, Paul Schrader has a Facebook page and he's an old man and he posts like an old man. But he it's it's so funny because for someone who has who is as uh, intelligent and as I'd say meticulous with his screenwriting, he doesn't seem to ever write something on Facebook and then goes, maybe I shouldn't post that. He just he will post anything he thinks. I think when he's kind of talking about movies, he actually does have a lot of like interesting stuff to say. But like when he's kind of talk- responding to anything, either political or social or kind of anything like that, or even I guess even with kind of pop culture elements. I know he was a. I think he he definitely posted something about Taylor Swift breaking up with her boyfriend quite recently as well. So I think <laughs> Did he, he really? Yeah, I think he like. Lo- I mean, I don't know what, why he. Lo- I think he even said in an interview he doesn't really like her music, but just seems to, like love what she represents, which I don't really know so what that. What, means, is, what does that mean? I don't what, even know. What is he cooking? What is Paul Schrader cooking? Sorry, I was going to say he should do like a. Um, he should do like another one of his movies, but like about a Swifty like writing like a journal, basically. He should. I mean, the only Taylor Swift one that I've seen, I've been looking at his recent posts. So uh, he he posted on the 23rd of November last year, it's Taylor's world and every day I thank her for letting me live in it. And then in the comments, he wrote, Taylor Swift needs an Astaire. We all need an Astaire. And then in the comments of that comment, he wrote, what I mean is that she needs a dance partner worthy of her, better than her. He's invested into Taylor in Taylor Swift, and it's so I part of me wants him to elaborate so I know what he's talking about, but I also love that it's just such a non sequitur. 
Yeah, I mean, I like he's obviously good friends with Martin Scorsese. And I wonder if he ever talks to Scorsese about uh, Taylor Swift. About Taylor Swift? <laughs> um, yeah, my top post from him from all time is from uh, November 9th, 2016, where he just wrote, I enter unwashed into a world that disrespects me and despises my values. <laughs> I really want to know what happened to him that day that made him post that. It kind of makes me think of... Um, Kind of makes me think of you know the 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 video of that that really tiny guy in New York who starts yelling at the guy on the street. He's like, you know, artist, an artist respects the silence. It serves as the foundation of creativity. You obviously don't have the talent. You don't have enough respect for yourself or other people or what it is to express yourself in music or any other form of creativity. And I'm an NYU film school graduate, sucker, and the school of visual arts. And the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. You suck. Anyway, his his tweets give me or his posts uh, give me those kinds of vibes, and they're they're so funny. They're so random too. Like there's not really a through line. It's truly anything that enters into his head. Yeah, and I think it's just also funny the fact that he uses Facebook like every other like director or artist i guess uses twitter to kind of express their views but i think the fact they use facebook which in some ways is better because he doesn't have any like limits on how much he can write but yeah i think i know i know a couple of times he's had to stop writing facebook posts because they've been so controversial that i think the distributor just says like please like please don't 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 write anything anymore (laughs) that's so it's like he's too old to be canceled though that's the thing it's like no one's gonna no one's gonna cancel him in his 70s or whatever for his weird posts like i feel like he's beyond that at this point i mean i take his facebook post as like pure gospel like i think i i I subscribe to the church of paul schrader something we have to talk about as well with him and his posts is how horny this man is this man seems to be very horny and it reminds me sorry like he was that reminds me of how how horny he was for like gal gadot i think like i think he literally just watched whoa really I remember this was like, I can't remember the exact post, but I do remember there was a post of him. I think most of him when Wonder Woman 1984 like came out, I think. And I think he just watched it because he just isn't in an infatuation with Gal Gadot. Is it possible for a human being to be more beautiful than Gal Gadot? He posted that. I mean, he's just, he's just spitting. <laughs> when I, when I man looks into Gal Gadot's eyes, he sees what a woman sees when she looks into a puppy's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this man's a horny as hell i mean have you seen his films to be fair like they're pretty yeah but they're like oh, somehow they're less weird than these <laughs> occasionally he just like posts stuff that's quite like poignant and like but then he'll just post something like i mean some of it is quite i mean i've got his review of tenet up here um attempted to rewatch tenet appropriately from a hospital bed the choices were limited what were they thinking <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Very nice. One of my favorite of his recent, just something about his horny posts, though, that makes them so funny is that they come out of nowhere. Like he'll be talking about one thing and then suddenly it'll get extremely horny. Um, So he posted last October, he did a, uh, he used the Dolly AI generator, you know, um, to make, uh, to make a little picture of a dog. So this is what the post was. Dolly, this is creepy. This website will create an AI image of whatever you describe. So I entered border terrier in Victorian clothes and this came up. Maybe I should stop now. My imagination goes to some scary places. Um, 
And then in the comments of that, of that very post, he wrote, so of course I ventured forward with seemingly innocuous, quote, girls in shower, end quote, only to be met with the admonishment, it looks like this request may not follow our content policy. AI has a big brother with oh capital Bs. <laughs> Just, right, so like you can't even talk about these. Like, mm, I found Dolly image generator, and I'm going to ask it to make girls in the shower. There was another one that he had on uh, AI recently. Um, Chat GPT. AI is creeping through the corridors of creativity. I wondered what the boundaries were. So I typed in, quote, seduction scene with hope of finding a new angle on a venerable writing challenge. I received this reply. I'm sorry, but I cannot generate inappropriate or explicit content. As an AI language model, I strive to provide helpful and informative responses while upholding ethical and moral standards. Please provide a different question or topic for me to assist you with. Thanks, God, somebody still has ethical principles. I mean... Thank God indeed. Thank God for Paul. I suppose we should just leave it at that then. Thank you, Ollie, for coming on the show to talk about Paul Schrader, Master Gardener, his weird films, and his weird Facebook posts. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. I'll be back on to review Transformers Rise of the Beasts soon. I'm looking forward to it. Um, do you wanna do you wanna plug yourself or anything? I'll plug my garden articles, I guess. Like I've got I've got one on Twin Peaks Fire Walk for me on the was it 30th anniversary like last year look it up i might have something more you never know i need to pitch i need money special uk correspondent oliver from london guardian the clinton news network the very own uh thank you for being on the show and with that i will say goodbye goodbye